Adults keep saying, we owe it to the young people to give them hope. It's beyond time to take action on climate change. But I don't want your hope. Right now, federal governments are failing to act. The city of Miami Beach is declaring a climate change emergency. So the politicians in this building can literally look out their windows and on some days see sea level rise. None of this is a coincidence. I want you to panic. Climate change is a consequence. We are in one of the frontline communities facing the climate crisis, and it is time that we speak up for our residents that are being hurt. Just from a quick little rain we got. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. I first became involved with the Clio Institute almost a year ago, once I started learning about the urgency that the climate crisis needed from young people and amounted to my own school walkout. So as a student at FIU, I study environmental science and in all my classes, climate change is sort of touched upon at the end. And I started to realize that no other issue is more ultimate than the climate crisis. And about a year ago also, I became involved with Clio because I attended their community climate symposium. In comparison to many of the cities around the world, we are, if not the most, one of the cities that will be affected detrimentally by the climate crisis. So we're talking about sea level rise, saltwater intrusion, intensified hurricanes, losing our access to safe drinking water. So being ground zero for climate change means that we are in a lot of danger and we don't have any time to really waste as a city in comparison to others especially. We're doing this because we feel that no matter how much the youth actually rose up and tackled the problem of climate change in 2019, we aren't necessarily getting the fruitful effects out to the public and the solutions and the knowledge that is needed to cultivate meaningful change. Therefore, House on Fire will act as a catalyst, not only locally in Miami, a ground zero community as Gabby spoke about, but hopefully internationally to inspire a sense of justice and knowledge among the people who will be impacted by climate change, which is frankly, everyone. There is no resilience in Miami specifically or, or other cities in this country unless everybody has a basic understanding of the crisis. You're listening to our third episode of House on Fire, a youth-led podcast about the climate crisis based in Miami, Florida. I'm JP. And I'm Gabby. Gabby's a college student studying environmental science at Florida International University. And JP is a 17-year-old climate activist from Miami who trades his megaphone for a microphone every week. Today we're joined by Miami's most trusted meteorologist, John Morales, and we're breaking down the impacts the climate crisis will have on Miami, ground zero for climate change. So why do we call Miami ground zero for climate change? We call Miami ground zero for climate change because we are a frontline community, mm -hmm. which means that in comparison to other cities across the world, we are one of the cities who will feel the impacts of the climate crisis first. And not only will we feel it first, but we are going to be hit very hard. We are the most vulnerable city in the United States to the climate crisis when it comes to our economy, our public health, and more. The main impacts that we can expect at ground zero include sea level rise, 
stronger hurricanes, saltwater intrusion, and extreme heat. So for that reason, Miami really has the responsibility to lead the way in climate action, not only for our own community who will suffer, but for leading the way for other cities around the country and on, around the world to take on climate action. So there's just so much to talk about when it comes to Miami and the climate crisis, and that's why I'm super excited to speak with John today. Totally. Okay, so in the studio today, we have John Morales. John has a degree in meteorology from Cornell. He's an American Meteorology Society fellow and has done past work at the National Weather Service. John has challenged the status quo by bringing climate change to the forefront of broadcast news and explaining how it's intensifying our weather. Coupled with the trust from our local community, John is one of the leading voices on the climate crisis, and we're so excited to have you here. So thank you again. Well, thanks for the invite. It's uh... It's really an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So I think the best way to start diving into this is to understand why you're here and how you even started talking about climate change and why. So I think it's fair to say that maybe when you started your career in meteorology, you didn't necessarily plan on talking about climate um, on broadcast TV. So I'd like to hear why that is and what led you to start doing that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I was a civil servant for seven years, so I was a behind-the-scenes forecaster for the National Weather Service. And uh, through different circumstances, I ended up in media uh, and have been in media now for almost three decades, 29 years to be precise. But in 1997, 100 weathercasters from across the United States were invited to the White House during the Clinton administration. And in the East Room of the White House, Vice President Al Gore presented to us, uh, basically like watching an inconvenient truth in person. Wow. Right. Uh, and uh, so there he was presenting to us there in the White House. I left, uh, keep in mind, I, I, I knew the science well, but I left inspired. I left inspired to try to communicate more on the urgency of uh, what at the time wasn't viewed as a crisis, yeah. as a climate crisis, but at least uh, more urgency to communicate on that subject matter. So gradually I started to try to do a little bit more. Then I moved to a different uh, network and TV station. I moved to Telemundo. There were uh, more opportunities to do so. And then over the last dozen years, I've been in NBC and two things have happened. Not only have I had, I had more opportunities to present or communicate on climate change on the air, but the sheer number of extreme weather events that have started to occur, there's, there's just an increasing number mm -hmm. of these extreme weather events. So this provides opportunities for me to talk about the connections between the changing climate and the propensity for these extreme weather events. And I'm not on the air necessarily telling people two hours after an excessive flood or a heat wave, uh, this was definitely caused by climate change. No, this is, these are not the words I'm using. What I'm doing is I'm telling people, and what you just saw is consistent with what you might expect in a warming world. So one of the things that I got from that was that, you know, you were inspired by this sort of aha moment that you had that you kind of realized, wow, this does need more attention and does need more urgency in reporting. But regardless of that, throughout the years, you saw the gradual development of different weather patterns and things that were just undeniable to a changing climate. Can you explain to us why a warming planet leads to these impacts here? Sure. Of course, the, the biggest threat for South Florida is, is uh, the water, <laughs> yep. uh, in particular sea level rise. 
And, you know, when people think about sea level rise, they say, oh, you know, most people say it's risen eight inches in 100 years. Well, how about this? In Miami, sea level has risen six inches in 25 years, you know, not eight inches in 100 years. It is truly accelerating here for, for various reasons. It's, it's, you know, yes, anthropogenic global warming is the main driver. There's other reasons too, the slowing of the Gulf Stream, which mm -hmm. is also a result mm -hmm. of global warming. What's going to happen is with these um, uh, higher seas is that when hurricanes threaten South Florida, we're going to see deeper storm surges that are penetrating further inland. We had a good example of that uh, during Hurricane Irma in 2017. Mm -hmm. Irma passed 100 miles away, mm -hmm. and nevertheless, we had six feet worth of storm surge in parts of Miami, wow. and it was very serious. These floods that we're seeing, whether it's during a hurricane or during the king tides, what we call the sunny day floods, they're starting to happen with such great frequency that, yes, of course, these opportunities to get on air and discuss this happen very frequently too. The other things that are happening locally are, of course, increasing temperatures. We're seeing these streaks of yep. record warmth happening mm -hmm. so frequently. And the ratio, the ratio of record hot temperatures to record cold temperatures at times is just unbelievable. Let me give you an example. The city of Fort Lauderdale right here in South Florida. Mm -hmm. They The last time there was a record cold temperature reading in Fort Lauderdale, you have to go back to the year 2015, five years ago. Since that time, it was February of 2015. Since that time, there have been, I believe, 120 warm temperature readings, records, mm -hmm. 120 warm temperature records since the last cold temperature record, wow. a ratio of 120 to, to nothing one. Yeah. or to one. And that's just, that's just nuts. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so these are the type of local uh, events that are happening that just immediately blow people's minds away in terms of what's happening here and how we connect it to the local level. Definitely. There's another stat um, that I've learned recently that in Miami-Dade County, should we continue business as usual, by 2050, we can expect, I believe it's tripled the amount of danger days. Correct me if I'm wrong. Which means basically above 105 degrees Celsius, uh, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Right. So it's scary because it's already hot in Miami. So to imagine me being 50 or 49, 50 years old at that time and having to go throughout my life with one third of my year being unbearable mm -hmm. is, uh, it's very scary. And I think that that's just one area where we're bringing urgency to cl about climate to Miami. And another area that a lot of people see now, maybe not so much as with extreme heat, are hurricanes, mm -hmm. like we were talking about. So growing up in Miami, hurricanes are kind of like normal. It's not really something that I at least grew up scared of. But in the last few years, I've noticed that my family and my like local community feels a little bit more on edge every time hurricanes come around. And with my family, I've tried to explain how with uh, global warming, it's not that the frequency of hurricanes are increasing, but the intensity is. So could you dive a little more into that and why exactly the warming water leads to that effect? Yeah, I think that's a, a really important thing because, um, yeah, I mean, I know I mentioned water, but one of these days, we're going to get one of these hurricanes uh, at category four or five and uh, bring a $100 billion disaster to uh, the South Florida's metro area. And it's going to be scary. And the aftermath is going to last a long, long time. Uh, you're totally right. The, the, the uh, number 
of tropical cyclones across the globe is showing no trend, uh, mm-hmm. neither increasing nor decreasing uh, in this warming world. However, uh, there is a very definitive trend in the percentage of the tropical cyclones that do form that are reaching category four and five. All these hurricanes recently have been reaching category four and five intensity. And many of them go through these very scary rapid intensification cycles where there's not a lot of time to prepare. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine a tropical storm in the Bahamas and within a day and a half, it becomes a category four hurricane approaching Miami. How do we get ready so quickly for something so scary and so destructive? And yes, uh, the underlying reasons, of course, uh, the warmer waters, the warmer atmosphere, the physics have changed. Physics of how tropical cyclones form and sustain themselves is changing in the warmer world. So we are changing the speed limit of the highest possible wind speeds that you can see in a hurricane. It's almost like changing the speed limit on a highway. So instead of reaching 200 miles an hour, those highest winds, they can reach to to 10 to 15 with a greater ease. And, and, And that's what's happening with those. Wow. So, you know, what I'm hearing from all of this is almost a forecast into the future. If we go, you know, going off of Gabby's question, what could happen if we stay business as usual? Yeah. You know, those forecasts of the future aren't looking too well, not only in terms of basic climate, but also you bring up, you know, $100 billion disasters in South Florida, almost apocalyptic headlines that you can hear about um, many of many of the aspects relating to the crisis that we're in. And on that note, you know, something that you brought up was also, you know, how do we deal with this? Mm -hmm. So do you think you could give a bit of insight from what you know as to how Miami can start dealing with these kinds of things? What could it focus on? What should the the priorities be? Well, the priorities, I think, first and foremost, would be mitigation, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we we all know, I mean, yes, we're doing this podcast. Uh, Yes, we're advocates for action on climate. Uh, But but we all know it's not going to be stopped anytime soon. But what we need to do is slow it down. Because if we don't slow the rate of warming down, uh, we're going to shoot right through these 1.5 and 2 degrees Celsius uh, uh, goals from the United Nations, and we're going to end up in a very scary world. It's already becoming quite scary with all these extreme weather phenomena. Imagine what it's going to be be with another couple of degrees added on. Uh, so mitigation would be first and foremost. And, and listen, I mean, mitigation, it's not just what you do at your at the family level whether it's uh, you know energy efficient appliances and air right. and less air conditioning and electric cars and composting and and all these different things that we can do mm-hmm. to help save the planet it's also about being educated informed and empowered so that you can you know vote for the right people demand climate action from our elected leaders uh, so that yes we indeed mitigate reduce our carbon footprint and find ways to slow this down in regards to the second part of this, which is adaptation, right? Yeah. How do we adapt to this? Adaptation needs to be a you know every tool in the shed, multifaceted approach, uh, and people need to also start just simply thinking about where they're living, how resilient is the place or neighborhood that they've chosen to live in, and how resilient and strong can you make your home? Are you going to put up put it up on stilts? Are you going to raise the house? Are you going to simply abandon? Uh, you know, this is a this is a, an increasingly talked about subject, right? Uh, the retreat. 
right. uh, yeah, subject in the Florida Keys. Right? That's exactly what I was going to ask you about next because, well, first of all, I loved how you just said, when I think mitigation, I think um, pulling back from the burning of fossil fuels mm-hmm. and putting in the use of renewable energies. But you kind of just put um, under the mitigation umbrella voting. Mm-hmm. And just getting from the root of the issue. Right. So first of all, I loved that. But if there was if there was some sort of verbal standing ovation, I would <laughs> be doing that right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, yeah. So going off of that retreat, and that's something that I really wanted to talk about too, because we talk about adaptation, we talk about mitigation, but ultimately we are set in for effects, whether we start today or not. There is a climate lag, so um, we will inevitably see a sea level rise and stronger hurricanes. Hurricanes. And I just feel like nobody's talking enough about how we're going to handle displacement and how who's taking care of retreat. So I just wanted your thoughts on that. And where is Miami on that? And where do we need to be? Yeah. So, I mean, imagine for a, a local uh, elected official or an elected officials appointee to even utter the words mm-hmm. retreat mm-hmm. and how hard it must have been to come around to have the courage to start discussing this. And I think five years ago, nobody was talking about, uh, I guess the, the technical term is managed retreat, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard of managed retreat where if we do it in a planned fashion, it'll hurt less than if we do it haphazardly in a, a crisis mode. Uh, but now, you know, we're hearing uh, Monroe County, which is the Florida Keys, mm-hmm. uh, officials, including the political appointees, starting to state that there are parts of the Florida Keys that are just too expensive to try to protect from the rising seas, and they're just simply not going to bother. And there are neighborhoods that will be become inaccessible uh, because of these decisions that, that uh, are very difficult decisions. So how did we get here? I think we've been forced into a corner, uh, and these officials have had to recognize that there just simply isn't enough money to go around uh, to to uh, uh, save every single corner of right. every single built environment that we have here in South Florida. Uh, and, and the reality from the Keys is one that will likely expand into uh, the rest of South Florida and, and many other parts of the state. There are already some pockets in Miami-Dade County, too, where they're talking about buyouts, right? Yeah. And there's a right. fund for the buyouts. Um, some of the more vulnerable homes in, uh, in some of the uh, water-prone communities here are being looked at in that sense. So it's, it's starting to happen. I think it's going to accelerate. It's going to cost a lot of money. A lot of the money is going to be taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sad because... You know, nobody ever wanted to talk about a carbon tax, mm-hmm. right? And yet our tax money is increasingly going to these efforts uh, of helping people in the crisis of climate change. Uh, and we could have saved. We could have saved ourselves all this money had we only invested a little bit 10, 20, 30, or 40 years ago. Right. And instead, it's going to cost 10 times as yeah. much yeah. and it's our tax money that's it's a carbon tax it's what it is and that that kind of reminds me and that reinforces the argument that you you know made a couple minutes ago in terms of why mitigation is first it's almost like you know for so long we've had this hole in our boat right and what we keep spending money on is just trying to buy a bigger bucket to pour the water out that's instead right. of capping the hole exactly and you know at some point we're just going to start getting more and more holes, but we're distracting ourselves from what the real issue um, really is. And 
you know, you said it yourself, you know, putting a tax on carbon, trying to mitigate fossil fuels and emissions. So what role are we focusing on right now in terms of renewable energy or, or lack thereof? First of all, we have to separate what's really happening from the greenwashing, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of greenwashing going on out there. You'll see a lot of TV commercials on what uh, X corporation is doing or Y corporation is doing. And it's not necessarily all climate. There's some some environmental stuff also being put on TV just recently regarding mm-hmm. some water issues right here in our mm-hmm. state of Florida. Um, so, so let's separate that, which is not necessarily reality, and it's all glossed over and very beautiful. To, to what's really being done in the state. Uh, this is a state where, uh, you know, uh, putting solar panels uh, can be difficult uh, because uh, the utilities are, are fighting tooth and nail uh, to keep yeah. people from being able to do so. And they've had these dubious, uh, very misleading attempts with different uh, uh, amendments, uh, proposed amendments to the Constitution that would have kept people from being able to put uh, solar uh, on their roofs. So, that, so I mean, it, it's always fighting upstream uh, in, in that sense. But there are some very encouraging signs. Uh, even, uh, you know, Florida Power and Light now is deploying these larger uh, solar arrays in parts of the state. We know that wind energy is not something very useful here in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. The wind right. doesn't blow strong enough here for us to, 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 to do that. But definitely solar uh, should be a part of it. Elsewhere in the country and also definitely elsewhere around the world, there are some very encouraging signs in mm-hmm. regards to renewable. Uh, there's many other things we can discuss about uh, the energy portfolio that perhaps we should be considering. Some of them are more controversial than others, including the discussion about nuclear. Uh, but um, uh, certainly uh, to me, uh, at least my personal viewpoint is every tool in the shed is needed mm-hmm. uh, to move away from fossil fuels. And, uh, and at least me very personally, that should include nuclear. Uh, but um, uh, that, that's where we stand today. Mm-hmm. All right. What about tidal energy? I feel like that's never really brought up, but like we're right by the ocean. Or is that just not something that fits? No. Uh, so, I mean, I've, I've seen some, uh, you know, geoengineering uh, uh, projects, uh, proposed projects with that. There's a lot of energy to be had yeah. with that mm-hmm. out there. Definitely. But uh, I, I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't have enough knowledge to tell you why right. um, viable projects in that realm uh, aren't producing a yeah. lot of uh, energy yet. But it's a good one to explore. We've spoken about, we've kind of veered off to talk about, you know, what's going on in Miami and what we can do to fight what's going on right now. But what is the good and the bad of how media communicates climate today? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Well... Uh, let's see, the good. Uh, I think there's an increasing attention uh, to the climate crisis, particularly in print media and online outlets. Uh, There's a lot more there. You know, think of uh, The Guardian and and, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, think of the Washington Post and New York Times. And and, and by the way, the Miami Herald too, because the Herald uh, with their Invading Seas collaboration that includes the Sun Sentinel, includes the Tampa Bay Times and the Palm Beach uh, Post, uh, all these papers across uh, parts of Florida are definitely have a, have an immense focus on environment and climate. So I'm see, I've, I've seen quite a bit of growth in that area. I think broadcast news still has quite a ways to go. Mm-hmm. There, there isn't enough coverage. There, there hasn't been 
it needs to continue to increase. So at the local level, which is, by the way, really important because local news is trusted more than national news. We live in an era, mm. sadly, that because of uh, some of the rhetoric that's out there right now, uh, people are becoming distru distrustful. Is that a word? <laughs> that's not a word. Uh, they're trusting uh, they're trusting the um, uh, media less than they used to right. in mm -hmm. the past. And, and that's very disconcerting because uh, these are trustworthy outlets and people, unfortunately, are not believing the news that's coming out. However, local news, which includes these local newscasts, like the one I'm on, NBC6, is trusted to a higher degree. So us, the meteorologists, as the station scientists, the TV station scientists, need to play a bigger role in communicating on the state of the science of climate change. So what I've been doing for a decade or a decade and a half or two, others need to emulate and others need to do. And we, we, we need to get past this issue. And I think we're, we've made a lot of progress, but we need to get past false balance and false mm -hmm. equivalency. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, journalists in newsrooms, they are trained to present two sides to every story on the face of this mm -hmm. planet, okay? Right. But it turns out science is not like that. There right. are new, no, there's no two sides to, you know, the theory of gravity. Exactly. There's no two mm -hmm. sides to, you know, smoking causes cancer. Yeah. Science has determined through the scientific method that smoking causes cancer. Well, science has determined through the scientific method that humans, through the industrialization of the planet, have injected fossil, I mean, uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, enhanced our, our, our the warming of the planet. And this is a fact. Mm -hmm. uh, so news outlets need to stop trying to find under every rock somebody that can supposedly provide balance to the scientific facts. What should we be focusing on? How should we communicate climate today in an effective way? Well, I mean, I, I think the connections between the extreme weather events and uh, how those are consistent with a warming planet is something that really drives the point home for the audience. The way they, they've become engaged, however, is greatly because of the extreme weather events that they all have been observing. So the more right. the more strong extreme hurricanes we're seeing, the more alarmed they become, and they go, "Things didn't used to be this way." You know, the one the ones in the Midwest who see these floods and they go, "It never." You know, why did we get two five hundred year floods within three years here in St. Louis? Just to give you an example. So everybody's seeing these extreme events, and they're realizing things are changing. Something is happening. And that has led them to accept the science. So the more we make those connections between extreme weather and how that is consistent with the warming planet, I think that's a strategy that's going to help to continue to drive the message that this is urgent, uh, that this is us, uh, that we need to find a way to stop it or decelerate it uh, so that we can leave a, a healthier planet for our children and grandchildren. Absolutely. Well, John, we're very grateful to have you doing that for us here in Miami. Yeah, thank you. No, what you're doing and the way that you're using your platform to communicate climate like you just did with us today is amazing. And we thank you again. Thank well, you so it, much. it was great to be here. Thanks very much. Thank you. We just had an incredible conversation about the climate crisis and how we are living with it in Miami. You just listen to our third episode of House on Fire, a podcast powered by the Clio Institute. Follow us on Instagram at House on Fire Podcast and make sure to listen to us on all your favorite platforms for podcasts. House on Fire is brought to you by the Clio Institute, a local nonprofit organization that drives climate education in Miami, Florida. 
please consider donating to fund our community programs. No amount is too little. This podcast is made possible by donors like you. To learn more about Clio, visit clioinstitute.org. Thanks for listening to House on Fire. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere podcasts can be found. An All Points West production recorded at Unicorn Fire Radio in Miami.